0: The supreme need of our time is for men to learn
1: to live together in peace and harmony.
0: I have directed the continued and increased close surveillance of Cuba and its military buildup. This is a strong nation. This is a compassionate nation. This is a decent nation. And this is a nation that will not let terrorists
1: change our way of life. And with eyes fixed on the horizon and God's grace upon us. We carried forth that great gift of freedom and delivered it safely to future generations. Welcome to the American Perspective. I am Joshua Newmark, and joining me today is the congressional candidate for Iowa's Third District, uh, Bill Schaefer. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Well, I sure appreciate the opportunity, Josh. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, you know, I did a little bit of research about you. There's been a lot of congressional candidates kind of coming into the mix, uh, and it's been great getting to talk to every single person so far. Uh, you have an extensive background in the military. Um, you your your education and degree with human uh, human resources it sounds like you'd be a great pick for Congress. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I'll start with
0: my background then. Uh, my background is, you know, a a, a a soldier's family. My father was also a soldier. Uh, my mom and dad grew up in New York. My father joined the Army and served 23 years. Uh, then I joined the Army and I served 32 years in uniform. And an additional just under five years as a human resource director, a civilian working for the army. Um, so that, that, that military family uh, creates a very spread out family. My uh, parents are in Maryland. My do- two daughters are in Georgia. My son is in Arizona. And, uh, and that matters when it comes to, to, talk, to talk about Iowa here in, in just a moment. Uh, So Robin and I met in Maryland uh, 35 years ago and spent a lifetime in the, in the army. As you noted, uh, 32 years in uniform. I'm a retired Colonel um, airborne infantry ranger kind of background. Uh, I do have a degree in human resources. Uh, I also have a degree in national strategy from a a military school. Um, So back to that, that, family being spread around, my last assignment in the Army in uniform was in Iowa in, in, uh, at the Rock Island Arsenal, where I served as a chief of staff and an operations officer for a general officer headquarters. And my wife and I decided that with that spread out family, we, we liked Iowa so much. We liked the Iowa, Iowans, the people of Iowa, the countryside of Iowa. So we retired and stayed in Iowa. And we just we just think uh, the uh the islands are awesome, so we were looking around at at what we were going to do next, and one of the reasons we stayed in Iowa was the conservative nature of Iowa and last fall, as you know and and most Republicans know, we lost thirty nine seats well, district three was one of those seats and And so I decided to quit the job I was doing. And about March of this year, March of 2019, my wife and I agreed that this would be a good path and the right path for me to continue to serve the nation. So the reason that I'm running primarily is to serve the people of Iowa District 3, as well as the people of our nation. I want to return this seat to a Republican and deliver conservative problem-solving to this district. I also want to join that small group of conservatives that are in the Congress and and help them, and in doing so, be able to provide a little more help to the president with his conservative agenda.
1: Um, So you're actually going to be running against uh, Cindy, is it Axney? She's the Democrat? Yes
0: that's correct she's the democrat that uh, candidate that won this seat last fall
1: so let me ask you this what was what was the determining factor that made you turn things and say i'm running for congress the, the,
0: in a simplest statement it's a what should be a conservative seat going to a a, a liberal de- democrat uh, but it, but of course it's more important than that. It's the way that I see the the country and the future of the country. And at the federal level, we have too many uh, congressmen, congresswomen. We have too many elected officials uh, that want to find federal solutions just about every topic. And you know that's um, that's not the way this country was built. Uh, but we're going beyond just finding federal solutions now. We're going into this, you know, how much, how much free stuff is the humorous term I guess everybody wants to use, but the wealth distribution ideas that are far left, and even some of our progressive middle uh, uh, redistribution type policies and type ideas that these folks want to want to use. I'd take this opportunity to remind everybody that I have the opportunity to talk to you today, that you know, this this is a federal republic and I believe in servant leadership. I believe in the US Constitution. I believe this country was built on self reliance. And the strength of our nation is the ability of our people to solve problems. And we need to get back to people solving problems at the lowest levels, not continually looking to government, specifically the federal government. Mm -hmm. So if I'm offered the uh, opportunity to serve in Congress, uh, I will take a constitutional problem-solving approach to everything that that I have uh, the responsibility to analyze. And what I mean by that is if the Constitution directs a federal solution to a topic, then I'll work with my colleagues in the Congress to find a federal solution. If the Constitution doesn't direct it, then I'll lean on the Tenth Amendment and remind my colleagues that that responsibility therefore falls to the states or the people.
1: Interesting. Um, Not many people have even uh, uh, talked about that kind of approach. I'll ask you this: given that you're a constitutionalist, but also given your background, so your 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 education, your career. There's a huge stigma with conservatives and Republicans that they're racist, they're homophobic, X, Y, Z. There's all these different things that they attach to this party or this, this uh, label. Going forward, knowing that the Constitution says that everyone's created equal, can you work with everyone to bring more of a unifying country?
0: Yeah, I believe so. Again, if you look at my background now, looking throughout the Army, of course, the Army has everybody of every background, and we always work together. But we also have uh, uh, folks in different services, and, you know, like when I worked in the Pentagon, I worked with all all of the services. I've also worked with other departments in the federal government. So I do have experience working with uh, teams of teams. Uh, that make up the entire federal government uh, but of course you know being led by and having led every possible type of american background that there is these, these labels that our politicians want to use you know they're they're really they're uh they're becoming pretty egregious they're they're sort of silly in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but the desire to place people into groups so that you can either put the groups against each other or point at an individual and say he's against that group just so you can tear them down. I gotta believe that our our uh, our fellow Americans and my fellow islands here in District 3 see through uh, all of that as just what it is, a way to put people against each other, a way to garner votes in voting blocks, or a way to to uh, to put put somebody else down. If you if you look at you know one of the primary accusations of this you know racist thing, it's the topic. Of course, is the sovereignty of our nation. Although um, many of our more liberal teammates want to talk want to use soft language to talk about immigration and immigration issues. In the reality, that that. That issue at the southern border, the issue at any of our points of entry, whether it's airports, seaports, or the walking across the border and folks overextending their legal means of staying or just flat out illegally crossing the border, that's not immigration. That's illegal entry. That's illegal overstay. We have a right as a country to to secure the sovereignty of our nation and prioritize the American people over that type of illegal entry. and and I believe that if folks come to the negotiating table and separate that topic from actual immigration, the legal entry of uh, folks into a country, for the purpose for the purpose and the desire to become a citizen of that nation that nation, uh, I think there's a lot of room for compromise and for correcting both of those issues.
1: Let's stick on the topic of immigration. So it's, uh, since we're segueing into it, um, one of the topics of your campaign, um, it is noted that says in immigration versus border security. First, we must recognize these as separate and distinct issues. Um, and, you know, you just, you noted that um, with what you were saying earlier, the ports of entry overstaying your visa, you know, illegal entry into the United States. Um, do you support, A border wall, a border defense system, and why?
0: Yes. So uh, the why is it's a sovereign nation. We not only have the right, our federal government, because that is a constitutional responsibility, one of the main reasons we developed the federal government at the inception of our country. Uh, Every country in the world has a right to maintain its sovereign border and and not have illegal entrants taking from that country. So yes, I support the border wall, border barrier. I support a physical ability to stop illegal entry and cause people to be uh, brought to ports of entry on the on the border uh, because that's where the openings are. But there's much more to the closing of the border than, than just the physical barrier. Our great border patrolmen and women on the southern border specifically, they need the resources. They need resources in terms of enough border patrol agents. They also need electronic uh, surveillance and and other kind of uh, uh, soft tools that they can use to scan the border and cause that physical barrier to be effective. But in addition to that, we as a nation have to stop the incentives. There's two primary incentives. One is jobs and one is welfare or other free means access to things, whether it's education or medical or or just flat out get in line at the welfare uh, stand in front of American citizens. And we need to stop those incentives. And that's holding businesses accountable. And it's holding the federal government and the local governments accountable for for uh, not allowing that so three kind of three important parts and then that allows you to negotiate what we might do with the folks who have entered the country illegal illegally but often are referred to as having been here a very long time and we should show compassion and i don't disagree with that there are potential Potentially uh, different things we could look at if if they have criminal background uh, felony cri- criminal background, violent crime stuff, I think they need to still be deported. if not, we can we can look at we can negotiate on how to be compassionate about those folks that are already here. Um, then we can also look at our immigration standards and and how many folks we need to come in to the country what type of folks we need to come into the country, you know, what kind of needs do we have? Do we have you know, needs in hard sciences or do we need, have needs in technical skills or labor right. skills? It doesn't matter, it's all fine. In theory, our elected officials would be ha- analyzing that and generating the right number and the right skill sets to be coming into the country legally
1: that's great uh you know you've you've gone into full detail which most people haven't you know nobody's at least even come up with a plan of how they want to approach these topics so it's something to work with you know the the left has been i you know i use this term a lot but they've been weaponizing immigration for their own narrative like children in cages well they're not cages there's they're holding centers and and cells you know we've seen this massive influx of over uh, nine hundred thousand people crossing the border in 2019 alone. There's an issue. Uh, we have to start somewhere.
0: Yeah, we, we do. And and having been around the world and seen actual poverty and actual cages and actual holding cells where people are treated very nice, I find it kind of uh, maddening that our own people have attacked specifically the president, but they. But the federal government in general, the border patrol agents that are working very hard down there in the south to do this thing right, and uh, and delivering really pretty humane conditions for a terrible situation that shouldn't even exist.
1: Right. Let's move on to uh, the topic of economy. Uh, again, this is from your website, uh, and it stated, predictability, sustainable policy, and lower taxes drive job growth and family stability. Our federal government must provide oversight on the economy, but should not be an impediment to state economies. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I,
0: I can. Uh, that is, a, in my view, a constitutional approach to looking at it. the uh, the, the federal government does have a role in interstate commerce and and of course, international commerce too, but specifically here we're talking about uh, the uh, inter- interstate issues. And, and, and so policy that makes sure the playing ground is fair from state to state, that the states are recognizing each other's rules and, and laws and allowing uh, free trade, which uh, – free um, – free commerce to transpire, I think that's important. Uh, But what we don't want is to have, you know, regulations uh, stacked upon regulations that make it just that much harder. You know, if you think about it, every time you, uh, and you probably had to do this generating your own business there, you get a fee or you get a, uh, you know, the processing fee or there's a lot of different terms and what they really are are taxes. Why are you paying a fee to the government to conduct business? Well, that's, again, it's an additional tax on you, the business person, and then on on the consumer. Uh, So deregulation is really, I think, one of the key things that our federal government can do. And we need to also recognize that the executive branch the multitude of departments under the executive branch uh, from EPA to uh, US um, uh, to ATF to all, all these branches, uh, they they shouldn't be piling on additional laws or and therefore additional fines or taxes on, on to people. So that's one of the things that I wanna uh, specifically help the president work on.
1: Now, uh, expanding that a little bit more into budgeting and spending, which is also another one of the topics uh, that you've noted on your website, you did say that you will vote for a balanced budget, reduce taxes, continued deregulation, and economic policy that supports private sector growth and solutions. Um, knowing going into this that you could be facing a lot of left, you know, leftist views, socialist views. Uh are you gonna find that to be an uphill battle or do you think that you might be able to work with them or, you know, be able to push something through?
0: Well, I think I think in the district that I'm in, that topic will resonate well. As I've traveled around this district, actually spent the last seven days driving through seven counties and talking to a lot of islands, it'll it'll resonate well. The the idea that the uh that the federal government um, doesn't have to balance its budget the way, same way you do for your business, or the same way you do for your personal household, uh, is it, it? It makes people scratch their head. Now, you know, the federal government is much more complex, and they have a lot of responsibilities. You, you uh, so at at the uh, at the congressional level, you know, if I when I get to Congress and have an opportunity to talk to my colleagues there, it'll be an uphill battle. I'll start with that by saying, I've done a lot of uphill battles and a lot of hard things in, in my lengthy military career and, and things that took more than one or two years to get done. So I'm up for that part of the challenge. The reason that I think it's important to us is because it's the only way we're gonna stop the insatiable need for additional taxes. Uh, the the way I see it, and I think a lot of Americans see it, is our federal government, um, you know, sits up there on the hill and, and looks around, surveys the country, and goes, "Oh, we need a new program." Oh, good. Let's all agree we need a new program. Right. And we need a new program, so now we need more money. Oh, we're going to have to raise taxes so we can generate the money to pay for the program. Well, I think that's the wrong way to be going about it. I think that they need to have a a taxing limit, the a, the a, 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 a maximum amount that they can tax the country, which would allow them to forecast the revenues for the next year, there would be some guessing in, in the forecasting. Well, that's what forecasting is. Mm-hmm. And then if they come up with new programs, in order to fund that new program, they're going to have to cut another program. You know, internally in the federal government, uh, agencies do that agency in the executive branch, which I've already talked about once, gets a uh, – it's taxpayer dollars, but they get an amount of money, and that's it. That's what they're going to have for the year, and they know what that is. So they base that on forecasting. They base it on an on a, a estimate of what they believe they're going to need that year, based on a national strategy, based on training strategy, based on the needs of the people that work Within, you know, for the army because I'm very familiar with that, the soldiers in uniform, and and all those needs are, are put into the forecast. The forecast is delivered to Congress, and Congress del- agrees or or approves an amount of money for the, uh, for the for these services. And then, in the execution year, they come up with a good idea, and so they have to. They have to shift funds or take funds away from one program to do this new program. They can't just fund the new program. I think we could take that same kind of logic to the federal government and say, okay, if we, all of the elected representatives, agree that this program is something the American people want us to do, then where are we going to cut or reduce in order to fund it? I, I do think that's possible. I think it'll take some time and that's the approach I'll take as I try to convince my colleagues that a balanced budget is the right way to go. And I'll, I'll close that thought with one other thing. There, there is a legitimate concern in balanced budgeting for emergencies, uh, whether it would be a conflict or a natural na- natural disaster. Uh, but I'm confident that we can write an amendment that that covers uh, what we would call in the Department of Defense a contingency operation uh, so that the Congress could could appropriate additional funds to support a natural disaster or a uh, or conflict uh, in the execution year. Uh,
1: one of the things that I've noticed throughout the past three years and this is my opinion of course so you feel free to disagree. Um, I see Congress has been corrupt. Uh, Their fingers have been in all the different programs. Uh, There's possibility of kickbacks. We're spending money on things that we really shouldn't be. And then we have a segment of society that's saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want free education. I want, um, you know, a a stipend every month of $1,000 like Europe does. How do we combat these issues? If you think that they are issues, is it as simple as educating the people to get them away from that socialist thinking? Uh, how do we get people out of Congress or, you know, to try and limit some of that? How do you feel about any of those topics?
0: Yeah, you know, i, I my gut tells me that there's some corruption as well. It's hard to keep corruption out of very large machines, um, especially when the machine doesn't doesn't require to balance his budget, doesn't require a making a profit, it's run on the confiscation of wealth. Uh, but I don't have facts to back that up. I will I will fight that at every point that I see it and um, have a pretty good track record of you know, standards, expectations and guiding men to do very hard things without lying, cheating and stealing. So uh, the other part of that, the free, free, free thing, is a certainly a significant issue we've uh we've gone from you know creating a a social welfare net to keep people from uh being hurt or 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 being uh you know starving to death if if they're needing a a hand up i think as we used to say uh to this idea where everything is a right uh, I used this term earlier. I'm going to use it again now. The, the, our far left and our progressive middle uh, uses soft terms to make things sound better. So in the case of free, they use right. You have a right to a house. You have a right to a, education. You have a right to health care. Um, you know, we, we may as a society agree to fund these things, but it is absolutely wrong to call them rights. And the problem with that is, you know, our rights come from our creator. Our, right, our rights don't come from the government. We, we established a federal government. We, the people, gave that federal government the power to do the things we asked it to do. Deliver rights or, or determine what the rights are of the people isn't one of them. So anytime a politician tells you you have a right to anything besides, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or something that's described in the first 10 amendments, uh their their approach is wrong. Now you made, made reference to uh the education uh piece, you know, it, it is a huge cultural problem. It's gonna require a cultural shift of the entire country back to the self-reliance uh as opposed to the I have a need uh and I'm gonna reach out to a government solution for that uh for that need. So the starting point is the changing the conversation uh, f- from uh, one person at a time to uh, changing the, com- the conversation one person at a time from "I'm going to deliver free, free, free" or "I'm going to receive free, free, free" to uh, to be that self-reliant. How am I going to achieve, uh, you know, success? To be a productive person, to live within my means.
1: You know. I- I feel that as a country, we can make things more obtainable. I, I think we have that power. The question is, how do we do it that's fair to everybody where we're not taking money from everyone in order to do it? Um, and on that, into healthcare. So education, healthcare, I mean, we can make things more attainable. Um, one of my suggestions, and I, you know, President Trump is already starting to work with this, is the regulation of the cost of healthcare. Um, you, you can't just allow insurance companies to continue on the path that we've been on because hospitals, doctor's offices, uh, prescription medicine companies, they've been allowed to basically have free reign and now we have costs that are out of control. Do you support regulation of cost at its, at its base or just the opening and the free reg, you know, the basically free trade of, of healthcare and insurance.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I don't like the term regulating cost. I don't believe our federal government uh, should be regulating uh, cost. Uh, However, the federal government does have a role in, in, uh, in fairness and and in monopolies and making sure that uh, that, Companies are not um, just overrunning us, so rather than regulating costs a role in potentially regulating um, for example when when you get a medical bill, sometimes you'll get a one medical bill or you'll have one visit for something relatively significant you'll get a bill from the x-ray you'll get another bill from the lab you'll get another bill from. The administrator and makes it very difficult to know what your total bill is going to be and to make and and to know when you're actually done paying the bill uh i i have a couple of friends of mine that uh saw that you know when they thought they were done paying the bill two three weeks later they got another bill and they don't really have the way to to know for sure if they paid the whole bill or if they owe this additional cost that just came in so I, I think potentially the federal government could have a role in in uh, making the industry deliver a reasonable estimate up front and a bill at the end that is comprehensive and covers everything. Does that
1: make sense to you? It does. Um, sure. but, but let me throw this at you because this, this is me personally. I'm going to give you an example of everything I've gone through. Um, I've gone, I'm going through a health condition that nobody knows what it is. Nobody can find out what's going on, which has prevented me from, from doing quite a bit. I have been stuck with Obamacare without the incentive. So, you know, the, the stipend that they give you, if you qualify, um, it would be $700 plus a month out of pocket just for the premium. So given the examples that I've given you, especially considering the out of pocket expenses that people are seeing hospitals charging thousands of dollars for services that to a normal person wouldn't really be expensive um can we address those costs of healthcare to make them more affordable because the insurance companies are just going to pass that along in their premiums and deductibles things like that
0: yeah yeah, I, uh, I I think so uh, I've got a lot to learn in this particular topic but I, I do believe that I do believe the free market will correct most things and the cost of most things uh, but one of our problems here of course is the federal government should have never got involved in health care and now that you know President Obama was able to secure a portion of the economy into federal government hands it's it's not going to be able to correct that easily. So, I think one of the two the two things that the federal government could do that would help bump the the health care the econ- economics of health care uh, back into place would be one create create a billing system that had a better forecast up front or better estimate, if you will, mm-hmm. and then a and then a consolidated bill at the end so that you know what the total thing is and then the second piece is uh you know catastrophic kind of um security system social security system if you will uh, because we have room we have capacity to to not allow countrymen to go bankrupt uh, or become poor because they have a you know a uh a medical condition, so I do think there's some work that work can can be done in those are, in those two areas uh,
1: the last topic I had for you, and this is my favorite one uh, term limits. How do you feel about that, and do you have a plan in place if you agree with it
0: I, I do I, I, you know I, again i've gotten some pushback from party tech folks on term limits and, and i and I reanalyzed my position on it uh, then i Talked to lots and lots of islands, hundreds of islands, and here's the bottom line: uh, our country was not built on the idea of a career politician. Our our country was built on on uh, servant leadership, and I want to get back to that. And I believe the right answer is term limits, and my plan is to support. Um, Three House terms or two Senate terms, and that would allow enough time for the the uh, representatives or the senators to to learn the job, be effective, and at the same time potentially not be spending all their time worrying about the next election, so that they can secure that that uh, that career in politics. Uh, I think that's the part that bothers me the most. I can tell you confidently that if the people of Iowa allow me to go represent them, I will not be a a career politician for 30 or 40 years or whatever life I have left in this earth. I'll go, I'll serve them. I'll I'll work as hard as any day I worked in the army for three, three, you know, three terms. And then I'm going to go back home and I'll help mentor the next generation, whoever they want to select to come in behind me. I'll help make sure that individual knows uh, you know, where we are on, on every particular topic that we're working on. But yeah, absolutely support term limits and, and want to get away from career politicians. And I want to try to correct the course on uh, career benefit or lifelong benefits for politicians as well.
1: I love it. Uh, do you have any final words for the listeners? This is your opportunity. You can say anything that you'd like.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I do. I want to. I want to talk directly to the people of Iowa District Three and any great American in the nation that's listening to me right now. Um, you have my word. I, I'm not a polished politician. I don't have all the answers, uh, but the reason I'm running is because this should be a conservative country that's based on a federal republic, and it's given the opportunity. Uh, to go to Congress. I will absolutely serve the people of this district. I will serve the people of this nation, just as I served your soldiers for 37 years. I want to get the conservative base in Congress a little stronger, and I want to help deliver this president some more help on the conservative agenda that he has been delivering as he promised he would the nation.
1: Thanks. Uh everybody, thank you so much for listening today. This has been the American Perspective with Josh Newmark and my guest Bill Schaefer, candidate for the U.S. House Iowa District Three, uh, running against Cindy Axney, who's the Democrat incumbent. So I, I wish you best of luck. You are more than welcome to come back anytime uh, throughout your campaign.